Hello everyone, I'm Brendan Marcella. This is the Auburn Undercover Roundtable. I am joined by Ron Sanders, Philip Marshall, and Keith Niebuhr, all from AuburnUndercover.com. This is our roundtable in which we just sit around and discuss the goings-on of Auburn. And here it is, December, season's football season's over, so it's pretty quiet. Uh, not a thing's going on. Oh, wait, hold on. I, I just got this breaking news in. Everything's happening at once. Uh, um, I wanted to start, uh, with you, Philip, and then we're going to go into recruiting here a little bit too with Keith, but Philip, uh, Chip Lindsay's gone. We were expecting that for goodness, two months. It seems like, uh, he's gone to Kansas, going to a basketball school to be the offensive coordinator under less smiles. Um, Auburn's looking for an OC and, they're in a situation that, as you as you reported in the past about if he were to stay at Auburn, that's kind of put him in some tight handcuffs as far as what who he can maybe go get to fill that position on his staff. Well, unless there is a change in what seems to be the stance of uh, uh, of the administration, uh, they don't want to give a multi year contract. Honestly, I don't know who he can go get. The uh, the norm in the SEC for coordinators is three years. And uh, and so far, from what we understand, he hasn't been able to get two years. So uh, I don't know. It's going to be very difficult. There's no doubt he wanted Hugh Freeze. Everything I have heard is Hugh Freeze wanted to come, though that might that might change if he gets the head coaching job at Liberty. That might, that might take him off the table for everybody else. But uh, – uh, but unless unless there is some movement and on a, on the contract length of the contract, honestly, I don't know what he can do. Yeah, neither do I. The only the only thing, I mean, if if that is going to be the case, no matter who he presents to them, uh, I would think that he's just going to have to either, you know, promote someone if he wants to go the OC route, or just go hire a position coach and take over the coordinating duties himself and and go hire some, you know, up and coming or completely out of work, uh, coordinator who just needs a landing spot right now, because, and we'll go into this further, but they have just completely, uh, just hamstrung, uh, Gus Malzahn in a lot of ways, but Gus Malzahn's, uh, okay with it apparently. Cause he's still the head coach here. It's just, just a very awkward and weird situation. It's, let me tell you something, brethren. I've been uh, covering Auburn in some manner for almost 50 years. For been covering Auburn exclusively for 24 years, 20, 25 years. And uh, this is the strangest situation I think I've ever encountered. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why you keep a coach and then make it difficult for him to succeed. And I don't know why, if you're a coach, to be honest, and you got a $32 million golden parachute, you don't just go in there and say, look, it's obvious this isn't working. Give me my money, and we'll shake hands, and uh, and I'll be on my way. Because unless something changes, it's hard to see uh, – it's hard to see a path 
back to success, at least long term. I mean, you know, you can look at next season and they got this guy back and that guy back, and who, who knows what might happen. But but long term, it's uh, it's a very strange situation, and I don't know, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the goal of this situation is. It's uh, it's just very very unusual and very strange and. And as as uh, as I have written, I just think that uh, Auburn, whoever is going to make these decisions, whether it's the board of trustees or whoever it is, putting Auburn football at grave risk at a time when you don't want to be going the wrong way in the SEC at this point, if you're Auburn. I mean, nobody ever wants to. But you get behind all these teams that are on, on – uh, in overdrive, all, all these programs, you go, you're going to have a hard time catching up, whoever the coach is. It's almost like that, Who you know, it's almost like they're going, well, we're going to take a couple steps back so we can sprint out the gates here in a couple of years. But it doesn't work like that in the SEC anymore. No, no, no. I don't know if it's ever worked like that. It doesn't make sense to me at all. I mean, let, let's, cut, let's cut some costs here and – Let's just completely set up this coach to fail so a year or two from now we can uh, go get who we want. That's not really how it works. In fact, it makes you look silly to other coaches that might consider that job. And, Ronnie, I wanted to turn to you on this. I mean, how is this offensive coordinator position looked looked at and looked upon uh, by potential candidates and others in the business right now, considering, one, the situation Auburn's in right now that's become public uh, with Gus Malzahn. And two, uh, as I've said, the book is out on Gus Malzahn. His offensive coordinators, his last two, have both left for lower-end jobs because they were not happy with their working relationship with Gus Malzahn. What's this being looked at? How's it being looked at by by coaches out there? Uh, They think it's a mess, you know, and um, the fact that Auburn's only given a one-year contract makes it even – uh, less attractive. It's not attractive to work for Gus. Period. But for, for most coaches, and now with uh, with contract situation, it's going to be extremely difficult for him to hire anybody um, that has a name. Anyway, so um, you know, it, it's not looked at very favorably for sure. Philip, have you do you remember any situation where a head coach at Auburn was in a position where they could only offer kind of like a one year deal to someone for an assistant coach? Terry. Not that specific. I don't remember that specifically, but I think Ronnie Ronnie can uh, can attest to uh, uh, from his own experience of uh, what it was like at the end of Terry Bowden's tenure. Yeah, it was very very similar. I mean, they they hamstrung him in, in just about every way possible. Um, you know, at that point in time, coaching contracts were they were all one year. They went June June. So. That wasn't really an issue back then, but but in every other way, they cut they cut Terry's legs out from under him, made it very very difficult for him to succeed. Finally, he just had enough. He he quit before they could fire him. But um, that's what's going on here. I mean, it's just a matter of it, the writing's on the wall for Gus Malzahn, whether it's now or next year. Um, you know, he, he's he's not going to be the head coach at Auburn for much longer. So um, I think that's pretty clear to everybody. The real question in my mind is if that's what your your goal is then why not just do it? I mean, it's not like the buyout is going to be a whole lot less next year than it is now. I mean, why not just do it? 
I, I pose that question to everybody. Anybody figure that out? I mean, if you're going to do it, why not do it? There, I, I can only think of a couple of reasons. One of which is are the people that are that were apparently involved in all this, and and Stephen Leith and Raymond Harbert. I think because of Harbert's relationship with Gus Malzahn, and during the season, I kept yeah. hearing he was waffling back and forth and kind of hiding from other boosters and others. And then with Stephen Leith kind of being this guy who's still kind of new to this position, he's responsible as long as with Raymond of getting this seven-year deal worked out a year ago. I almost felt like they, they said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to ask him to do these certain things, compromise his own contract, and he's going to say, no, I'm out, and we'll have reason right. to either fire him or he's going to leave on his own. Or at the very least, if he stays, we can get rid of him in a year because he's not going to succeed. And also, in whatever brains they might have in, in thinking about this, this is the only thing I could think of, is that in presenting this deal, if Gus agreed to it, not only would they get what they want in a year or two, but they believe for whatever reason that boosters would be happy with it. And that has been completely uh, incorrect. In fact, it has just made it even worse. In fact, you're starting to see now the everything's kind of turning toward Raymond Harbert and, and Steve right. on this situation. Because now the realities are starting to come through. Oh, wait, we, we can't. Gus Malzahn can't give a multi-year contract to someone? No, that's something that they discuss. So who's, whose fault is that? That's the administration's pro- fault. That's not Gus Malzahn's fault. Um, what's going to happen if, say, Tim Horton or J.B. Grimes or someone else on staff leaves? What then? I mean, he's well, in a situation where if he's only allowed to give one-year contracts and they're telling him, hey, if you want to give him more or whatever, I can't confirm this, by the way. If you're wanting to give him more, you're going to have to take it out of your original buyout and decrease it further. What is, what do, what does that really accomplish at all? This isn't you're not giving a coach a gift card to run a program. That's what they're doing. They're giving him a gift card to run a program and say that's all you get. That's all you're going to get and that's it. Well, you know, makes sense. When I when I wrote about this situation last week and people kept saying to me, "Well, it doesn't make any sense." And I kept saying Hey, I didn't say it made sense. Yeah, <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense, and and uh, and so here we are, and the reality of it is setting in, and uh, and it's an unworkable situation, and that's what I meant when I said, "Well, they don't go in." I, I think the whole thing was predicated on, on giving him an offer that that he couldn't accept, and I don't know. I don't know of anyone who knows outside of the people involved exactly what in the end he accepted or didn't or, or whatever, if he, if he reduced his buyout or, or what, but just based on, on the, the things I heard last week, what you just said makes sense that they would say, and I'm like you, I can't say this happened, but that they would say, uh, uh, Hey, you want to give him a two year contract? You guarantee the second year. And, uh, that's just that that I have never heard of, seen or heard of anywhere before. Maybe well, it's happened, I, but I don't know. I think the I think the flip side of that is if 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 Malzahn is is that confident that he wants to hang around, he thinks he's going to be good, then you know why not guarantee it? Uh, you know that, that that'd be my question for him. I mean, I think the whole thing's ridiculous to begin with, but if you're Malzahn and you, you've gone to this much trouble to to, to to hang around, I mean, I if it were me, I think I'd go in and say, hey, look, just give me my money, I'm done. Uh, no question. That's what I would do, and and uh, uh, because 
it just can't go on this way. But you're right, you know. Listen, you know, Gus Malzahn is a very wealthy man, and he could if say it's a million dollars the second year. I'm just that's just throwing a number out there, which would probably be somewhere around that. Uh, if he ended up having to pay that million dollars, it wouldn't change. It wouldn't change his life at all. Uh, kind of like you, Ronnie. If you had to pay out a million dollars, you wouldn't have any problem with that, would you? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes because I just, you know, maybe in the end he'll be willing to do that or maybe uh, he won't and we'll end up seeing them hire us a young or, or unknown offensive coordinator. Or maybe he'll just say, hey, I'm going to be the offensive coordinator. And maybe that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's better. That would be a better situation than what they had last year with the whole Gus chip connection. I'll say that. Anything would be better than last year as long as there's just one voice. You know? Right. Because that, that, that was a complete mess. And, I mean, you know, I wrote this in our my three things. I know column. I mean. He couldn't stand working here anymore with Gus, and he wanted out. He didn't think he could go another year doing what he was doing with that relationship, and he's gone. And other coaches in this business all know what happened to Rhett Lashley and what they know what happened to Chip Lindsey. And Gus, even if he did have a multi-year contract to offer someone, would probably have a difficult time bringing someone here whose name is not Hugh Freeze. Right, no because question. I th- I think he would give Hugh Freeze more autonomy, uh, or as close as you can get to autonomy, um, as an offensive coordinator here, as as you know, uh, compared to say an Eli Drinkowitz who's worked for Gus and knows exactly what's happened to Rhett and uh, Chip Lindsey, or even a Bobby Bentley who you know his son's going to be a senior next season at South Carolina, so why leave there? But apparently he is interested. Uh, I, I think Gus is in a difficult situation right now. And I think this whole thing, not necessarily has been encapsulated by this, but just kind of another symptom is, for example, Tuesday, they are trying to land Kelly Bryant, the Clemson transfer quarterback. And so Gus is handling the entire recruiting process of that. And you're going into this guy's home uh, the day he decides to pick Mizzou which, by the way, he had to have already known by the time Gus walked into that door, door based on what I've been told. He goes into that home and tries to pitch everything. What exactly is he pitching when he knows, hey, my OC just left, and I, can, I don't know if I can get Hugh Freeze here or not? Is he just straight up saying, hey, we're going to get Hugh Freeze? I, I, I wondered that myself. I wondered that myself because uh, he either had to be saying that or saying – it really doesn't matter who we get because it's my offense. He had just about had to be saying one of those two things. And, uh, you know, Kelly talked after he visited here about, about Gus showing him what they would do with him and all those kinds of stuff, which means maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's, uh, that's what he was telling him. And that, that, you know, that it would still be not that I think he freezes approach to games is different than Gus's, but I don't know that his, the, the the basic scheme of his offense is that much different than Gus's. So, uh, but who knows? I would who knows? say this. But, uh, say Gus, this. Gus put an awful lot of he put an awful lot into trying to get Kelly Bryant. To, Absolutely. To and I think I think he sold that dream to a lot of people involved with Auburn too. No question. There's no question gonna, about it. 
Yeah, that they're going to change things. It's going to change things next season. And and to me, I wasn't around when this happened, but it, it reminds me more of when Auburn and Gus kind of swung and missed on Russell Wilson. Right, very when he, much. I, very much like that. When he missed on him, he went to Wisconsin, won a Big Ten championship, and Auburn won eight games that year and, and probably could have won 10, 10 games or more with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. Um, I think that's a similar situation. But having said that, we don't know how good Bo Nix is going to be. There's obviously Malik Willis, Court Sandberg, Joey Gatewood. But with Kelly Bryant, you know what you're getting at the very least. And yeah. Auburn's obviously not getting him now. He's going to Mizzou. Uh, Keith, you obviously followed this from from the get-go with Kelly Bryant. What was it like those last few days? He visited Auburn over the weekend. Auburn felt good. Missouri felt good. And then he ultimately picked – Mizzou on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I think I think my feeling is that Missouri probably knew a lot for a while. That's which way he was leaning, and I also think that he sort of knew for a while where he was going to go, and that Auburn made a late push uh, and made it interesting. You know, again after Gus Malzahn and Larry Porter visited with him Tuesday, I think they felt really good. I mean, that's what all of our sources tell us that they felt like. It, if he doesn't go to Auburn, then then he sure has has them fooled. Basically, that's how that's how good and strong the vibes were. But you know, with Missouri, uh, you know, it, it's a situation where one, there's zero quarterback competition. So, you know, although Auburn has a lot of unproven guys, and then a, a high school kid coming in in Bo Nix, it's still competition. In Missouri, there really isn't any competition. Uh, they have a lot of skill guys returning, uh, favorable schedule. And then also, I think he liked, you know, what he what um, what Drew Locke, the, the record setting quarterback at Missouri. I think he liked what he did. Actually, I don't think I know I went and spent time with Kelly in South Carolina. He liked what Derek Dooley, the offensive coordinator at Missouri, did in his one year with Drew Locke. The statistics, some people say they went down. Some of his statistics did. Some of them went up. His completion percentage went up a significant amount. So uh, but the, bo- the bottom line was Kelly looked at that situation, and said, I only have one year left. I've got to find somewhere where I can get on the same page with an, uh, an offensive coordinator fast. Okay. Time is of the essence. And, and that's what he really found in Missouri. Uh, and again, they felt good for weeks. Um, you know, it really was a two team race. Arkansas was not really a factor for the last few weeks. Mississippi state sort of was North Carolina probably was until, uh, until the, the coaching changed there. Yeah, I know Ronnie had some contacts that, that thought Arkansas felt pretty good just as of last week, but apparently the last in-home visit uh, that they had with Kelly wasn't really a great success. But, it, but anyway, most of the people we talked to thought that it was going to be Arkansas or Missouri, and I think, I think they made a big push. I mean, our, Auburn made a big push. He came in that last weekend. He let him in home. He didn't have to let him in home. You know what I mean? He didn't have to. And he did, but it, it's still disappointing for Auburn. I don't think there's any question about that. But I, I will tell you guys one thing. Back to a point one of you were just making about the, you know, what was Gus's pitch. I talked to somebody close to Kelly, and I said, hey, what about Chip Lindsey leaving? Is that going to impact things? And he said, maybe a little, but it was Gus's offense anyway. Now, that's one of the people in, in Kelly Bryant's circle. So I think that kind of speaks to what Gus was probably telling him. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that that was the case when, when Chip was there. I'm just telling you what was relayed to Kelly Bryant. Well, there you go. For anybody out there hoping the offense is going to change next season, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you're necessarily going to get that. Um, but it's worked before, uh, just didn't work this past season. And as I said, it just it prompts a question. I mean, I, I just don't know who Auburn's going to get at this OC position if it's not Hugh Freeze, if someone doesn't relent on this whole uh, certain all these circumstances. But everything just seems like it's doomed for failure. 
with the way it's being handled. And I, I, I just don't understand any of this. I, I don't. But back on the recruiting trail, Keith. Yeah. Uh, we got some news uh, Wednesday night about a certain player that Auburn fans were kind of afraid that might be uh, uh, decommitting from Auburn. Well, Owen Papo, the five-star linebacker, commit, you know, tweeted out, and, and we've learned more information since then. But he tweeted out, "Hey, I'm 100% to Auburn, nothing to worry about." And we've since learned that he's canceled an official visit to Tennessee and will be at Auburn for an official visit, most likely either this weekend or next week. He's an early enrollee. He'll be at Auburn uh, starting classes in January. Probably will take part in bowl practices, a few bowl practices. They're sort of limited, uh, and does plan to sign with Auburn on December 19th. In recent weeks. Um, he had kind of, or actually, you know, starting a couple of a month and a half ago, I'd say Tennessee started to feel better and better about things. He took a few trips up there. You know, Philip kept hearing that Auburn felt good. I kept hearing that Auburn felt good, but at the same time, you know, you have to talk to people with other schools too. And Tennessee was feeling good. They were feeling more and more optimistic. Uh, in fact, I'll just tell everybody uh, a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I would say, I was told, you know, be on alert. This, this decommitment could happen any day. Uh, so, you know, in our business, you have a story ready, you're ready to go. But again, at the same time, Auburn continued to feel good. The relationship Travis Williams, a linebackers coach, has with Owen is significant. Also, the defensive staff as a whole is, is close with Owen. And then really, the Auburn staff is close with Owen's parents. And, you know, in recruiting, it's not just about winning over the young man. you got to win over the parents. So that was a big deal for Auburn to hold on to him. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, 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 surprisingly – all the noise the last month or so, there hasn't been any decommitments yet, but you just never know. I mean, it's a fluid thing, this recruiting thing. And so even in good years, you have guys decommit. And and right now they're coming off seven and five. There's some uncertainty. You've had one assistant leave. Maybe there'll be others. Um, so Auburn, the Auburn staff credit to them for holding it together. They've got about seven or eight spots to fill, but this was a big win for them and a much needed win for them. You know, it's funny, Keith, he it reminds me of a story, and this is a long time ago when recruiting was different. Tommy Agee, who, of course, was the fullback in the Bo Jackson times, is Maplesville, Alabama. And he told me, he said, I was really thinking about going to Alabama. And he said, but, he said, but Coach, Witt, Coach Witt had won over my, my, I remember his mother or his grandmother, I think it's his grandmother, and said, and he said, and I told her, I'm, I'm thinking I might go to Alabama. And he said, she said, no, you're not. You're going to Auburn. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. And that was the end of it. He went to Auburn. So uh, yeah, and that ha- uh, and, 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 and that happens a lot, Philip. I mean, that's I pretty know. common, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, just an old story from an old guy I thought of. Well, look, they've got a lot of work to do recruiting-wise. There's no question about it. You know, Brandon and I were talking about this the other day. When you, if you go back and look at Gus's, well, I don't want to say Gus's, but let's see the offensive line signings the guys from high school and junior college yeah since gus has been at auburn it's not good you know we tried to do i tried to do a group of the best a list of the best ones and boy it got thin pretty quickly so you know they've really got to pick it up on the offensive line recruiting in this cycle and and then obviously uh linebacker still got some work to do and and there's not a running back committed auburn right now a school that prides itself on being running back you uh, they're in it with a couple of guys. One of them is going to visit this weekend, Mark Anthony Richards out of Florida. His brother was a, an outstanding receiver at Miami. But the guy to watch there is probably a kid named DJ Williams out of Florida as well. But there's still a, gr- a good class is being put together. There's still a lot of work to be done, though. No question about it. It, it seems to me, and I mentioned this in my column on Tuesday, uh, that while they've had 
highly rated recruiting classes and some extremely highly rated recruiting classes that maybe there needs to be a little more attention paid to the whole process where you don't end up in this situation where six years into your time you're 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 out beating the bushes for a, for a, for a graduate transfer quarterback and some some transfer offensive linemen. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's most most of the really successful coaches I've known always have told me that there's that getting enough offensive linemen in every class is absolutely paramount. Well, you, you can't miss on the offensive line too much <laughs> or at quarterback too much. And unfortunately for Auburn, when you look at the quarterback signings since 2013, you know obviously Nick Marshall was huge, but between Nick Marshall and now, and Jarrett Stidham was a unique situation transfer coming in. Uh, there's been a lot of misses, you know, unfortunately for Auburn. And then on the offensive line, you know, uh, and the funny thing is, Philip, and I think you mentioned this in your column, you, you know, sometimes you think you've hit big on signing day and the guys just don't pan out. Right. Uh, you know, uh, three years or two years ago, Auburn got Nick Brahms, Austin Troxel, and Calvin Ashley. That, those were the only three offensive linemen they signed. Well, that was an impressive dang haul right there. But, you know, Calvin Ashley – I don't know what his status is. Troxel is still getting better. They think he's going to be really good. And Brahms is still a young guy too. So it remains to be seen, but you know, I, I, you know, we're, it's just, it's just one of those things where I don't know. It's hard to explain. It, it's mystifying why Auburn has struggled to really recruit well um, at the level you would think on the offensive line. And then obviously the quarterback position, you know, those are the two areas you absolutely have to have to recruit well. Well, and the thing about it is, and it's certainly true of offensive linemen, it's sometimes true of quarterbacks too. It's it's difficult to go sign offensive linemen that are ready to walk in and play. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are those who do, but they're not many. And uh, so, in order to to have time to for these guys to develop, then you need to have guys in front of them and behind them, and and it seems like that's that's kind of where they come up short and. Listen, I don't think there's there's no doubt in my mind that the biggest difference on Auburn's offense between between the 2017 season and the 2018 season, when 2017 they had a great player in Braden Smith, they had a, a guy who's still in the NFL in Casey Dunn, they had Austin Golson who could play every single position and play any of them well, and they just don't have that now. And uh, yeah. I think that, yeah. and as a result, they they weren't able to run the ball nearly as effectively as they always have. And, uh, and then everything else well, happened, happened. You make a good point. I don't want to go on and on, but you make a good point on signing day. A few years ago, Auburn signed in the same class, Caleb Kim, Tyler Carr, Bailey Sharp, a couple other guys. And you're thinking, Oh my God, they beat out Alabama and Georgia for these guys, you know, and, and some guys pan out and some guys don't. I mean, it's just, it's uh, it, those are developmental positions, those offensive line spots. And you really just don't know. There's there's uncertainty with every position, but really with those positions. Well, meanwhile, uh, Auburn is going to start preparing at some point for the Music City Bowl. I know fans are super excited. Uh, <laughs> but they have to face a dangerous Purdue team that their defense isn't very good, but everybody remembers them just absolutely dismantling Ohio State uh, just a month or so ago at home. Um I question um, how many Auburn fans are going to show up to the Music City Bowl uh, just a few days after Christmas with everything going on, and also wonder who's going to call plays. My guess is it's going to be Gus Malzahn uh, calling plays uh, at that at that game. I will say this: they'll have more people at the Music City Bowl than they would have had at the Texas Bowl. 
Yes. Uh, because at least that's that's an attractive place to go. A lot of people like to go to Nashville. But, I mean, it's not going to be. They're not going to swamp the stadium by any means. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm guessing Gus Malzahn called called plays. But the, because of the date of the game, the limited amount of practice time they have, I, I just don't know how, even if you hire an offensive coordinator today, I don't really know how you could make that transition uh, in time in time for that game if he's doing anything different than what they're already doing. And uh, um, But I just, you know, I think in some ways it's not unsimilar to last year. Purdue is really excited to be in any bowl game. They're excited because their coach turned down Louisville and decided to stay. They're playing an SEC team. And Auburn, on the other hand, is nowhere near where they thought they would be or wanted to be. They're not, they never dreamed that they would be at the start of this season, they would be played in the Music City Bowl. And uh, so it's going to be a challenge to, uh, to get those guys as ex- to, to match the excitement of uh, who they're playing. And they couldn't match the excitement last year, and, and it showed. Auburn playing yet another black and gold team in the bowl game. Uh, in the home of, uh, well, not the stadium home, but uh, in Nashville, the home of uh, another black and gold team. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem fair. That seems like kind of, that's not fair. <laughs> I'm told that uh, it's all a conspiracy. Uh, the, Big Ten, the Big Ten is going to make sure they win the bowl season this year. Uh, it's uh, just not a, I mean, the matchup is interesting to me. It definitely is, uh, especially that that offense of Purdue's and uh, what, and then also just the storyline of, you know, Jared Stidham. It's his last game for Auburn in Auburn uniform. Uh, a lot of seniors going out and uh, several juniors on that defensive side uh, as well that are probably going to be deciding their futures soon as well as whether they go to the NFL or not. Be interesting to watch them, but uh, hovering over it will be just questions about the future for Gus Malzahn, even you know, here's the thing. Um, you know, I was joking with someone. You know, they make the bowl announcement, and other than a statement, which you know, Gus Malzahn did not say that statement word for word because human beings don't speak like that. Uh, no one who is employed by Auburn said anything about the Music City Bowl, other than Bruce Pearl on Twitter, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which I found kind of funny. But it, it just kind of showed you just how. Uh, hunkered down uh, the football program is right now and one with Chip uh, about to leave and two them trying to get Kelly Bryant and really focusing on recruiting and everything and uh, I, I definitely would think that the uh, response would have been much different if say they went to a New Year's Six Bowl once again or something like that but or even a or even like the you know a far bowl or, or right. a, a next, next level down bowl from the New Year's Six but yeah, I was surprised there wasn't more to it. There was. It seemed like there was more response to the Birmingham Bowl a few years ago than there was to this one. And uh, and, and you know, and, and I wonder. You know, players are not oblivious. Uh, they see that. They see that there's almost no response, and that, that it's not being not being treated as a big deal. And uh, wonder how they feel about it. It's uh. Like I said, it's not where they wanted to be, so it's going to be a challenge for all of them. It really is, and uh, be be interesting to see what happens. And it's a big deal for Purdue, because as you mentioned, I mean, like right after the announcement that was had, they had a press conference with several players and Coach Jeff Brom. They were already talking about Auburn and what Auburn presents and everything, and the players talking about 
the Iron Bowl rivalry and everything. And yeah. me- meanwhile, I- Auburn is just sitting quiet, sitting in the weeds, waiting for the duck to arise on the horizon, maybe take a shot. And I, I don't know when when Auburn's going to speak to us again. I- I'm guessing their first day of practice, whenever that is. And uh, we still don't know what day they're reporting uh, up in Nashville. It's either going to be the 23rd or 24th, I've been told, but they haven't set that in stone yet. Um, so, uh, just a lot of waiting around and a lot of coaches on the recruiting trail right now. And then also Philip, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Um, that Appalachian state jobs open right now and, and Tim Horton, I would think would be the perfect fill for that job. But as we know, a lot of folks want to go hire a young offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, someone to come in, they rarely go hire a position coach to lead someone. And Tim Horton's open to the idea of being a head coach. And here's the thing. Horton helped build that Appalachian state program. Right. He was there for eight years from 1990 to 1998. Uh, when he got, it was his first start in coaching. He was so involved in it. He would, uh, sleep in the athletics department at night on a uh, spare couch that they found in a uh, an athletic suite of some sort until one day the janitor caught him there. And uh, uh, actually, no, it wasn't the janitor. It was uh, the athletics director. <laughs> and uh, he had to leave. And, uh, you know, he's just – Appalachian State's kind of in his blood. It's, it's what formed him as, into who he is today as a coach. And I think it would be a darn shame if he doesn't get a shot in a nice – solid equal uh interview for that job uh considering everything he's done at every program he's been at whether it's air force arkansas and now auburn tim horton better known as one of the about the nicest guy in the whole world uh i mean he really is and and i think he's a heck of a coach and you know he could have had the georgia southern job after his first year at auburn but he had had promised i think his daughter he would, they wouldn't move again until she graduated from high school. And that's and that says t- tells you right there what kind of guy he is. So he turned it down. And uh uh I think he's an outstanding coach and, and I think he has all the intangible things you look for in a head coach. Uh I agree with you. I think it would be a shame if he doesn't if he doesn't get a real shot at it. Because I gotta believe an athletic director that sits down in front of Tim Horton is gonna come away impressed. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And and then I also wonder Scott Satterfield, the coach that was at App State, he left for Louisville. Um, if that doesn't work out, does Scott Satterfield reach out to Tim Horton about a position on his staff, I wonder? Well, you know, it's no secret, and uh, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but it's no secret <laughs> that, they're, that the offensive coaches, at least some of the offensive coaches at Auburn, uh, are not overjoyed with the way things are. And uh, to uh, I think they would be be uh, certainly willing to listen to uh, to to a job that that, that was attractive to them. Uh, Scott Satterfield, by the way, uh, the reason why I mentioned his name, why that even makes sense. Uh, Tim Horton recruited Scott Satterfield to Appalachian State, and uh, obviously Satterfield now the head coach replacing Bobby Petrino. Um, at Louisville. Isn't it crazy how coaching works out just in the span of like five, six years, Philip? It really is. I mean, Bobby, really Petrino, is. Bobby Petrino, remember him? And now he's 
out of work and probably never land a big coaching gig again in his life. Probably not. Well, you know, that 2013 season, Auburn fans were worried that the guys would leave the NFL. And, uh, uh, and now he's in the circumstances he's in. It doesn't take long. These guys make so much money. Uh, people who – I'm just talking about ordinary fans that go to games have to spend so much money just to go – just to buy tickets and go watch the games that, that they don't have much patience. And uh, if things go bad at a place where, where expectations are high, then uh, the seat gets real hot real fast. Ronnie, uh, what's going on nationally? There's – Jobs have been filling up quickly. Uh, we see Mike Loxley going to Maryland. Uh, Mel Tucker was officially introduced there at Colorado. Uh, what else is going on nationally on the uh, coaching scene as far as jobs coming open, jobs that might be open, and just the chatter going around? Um, yeah, you've got a you got a coordinator job open at uh, offensive coordinator job open at North Carolina. Um, you've got Kansas State looking for a head coach. Uh, you've got Louisville that, that just hired the head coach at Appalachian State. Uh, you got App State looking looking for a, for a coach. Um, so, you know, uh, USC just hired Cliff Kingsbury today. Um, so th- there's a, there's there's a little bit going on out there. I, I would, would imagine there's going to be a lot more after the early signing period. Um, it's not really fair to the kids that are signing, but unfortunately, that's that's kind of the way it works nowadays. That really bothers me. And I said that to a coach a week or so ago. I said, I said that just doesn't seem right. And he said, <laughs> and he laughed. He said. Well, it might not be right, but that's the way it is, and uh, and it is. And uh, but I'll tell you this: that I think now, if a kid is unhappy enough and he asks for a waiver and says this isn't what I signed up for, he'll have he'll have a pretty good chance to get in this environment, I believe. You know, that's interesting. I, I you know, I always wondered like what kind of what what kind of power could a you know, a player have in these new and changing rules and everything. Cause everybody's, you know, saying, Hey, the four game red shirt rule needs to change and everything. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how quickly anything will change with that, but it makes you wonder just at some point, the people who are in charge of saying, Hey, we know what's best with the student athletes have got to start getting the actual student athletes more involved with the, with the process of some of these rules. They absolutely, I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, you can't, to me, the, the, the risk for college football in general is that, you know, if I'm a player and my coach makes seven, eight, nine, six, five million dollars a year, at some point I start saying, now, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? And, uh, and I'm not saying that any of them expect to be paid like professionals, but but you could make their lives. They've done some things to make their lives better, but they could, you could do more. And, uh, but mainly the, the, uh, based on what we're talking about now, uh, making it possible for them to, for them when things change after they sign to say, wait a minute, that's not what, that's not what I was told. That's not what I expected. And I'm decided. And uh, I'll be back on the market in February. If it's in December. Uh, that make it harder on coaches, but sometimes, you know, what's right is not always what's easiest for everybody. And and exactly. and uh, it's uh, you know, if it, so if you don't want it to happen, then don't play those games where 
you got a guy recruit somebody when he knows that uh, a, a week after or a few days after signing day, he's headed off somewhere else. Guys, I, I wanted to end the podcast with this and just go around, and it's just a simple question. It's a two-part question, actually. Uh, one, uh, does Auburn have an offensive coordinator in place before the early signing period starts at December 19th? And two, will Auburn fans be happy with that hire? Uh, whoever wants to start, go ahead. <laughs> yes and no. Okay. Yeah, I would I would have to agree. Um, I would have to agree with Philip. Uh, I I just think it unless something drastically changes in the in the rules they've kind of laid out for Gus, um, it's going to be really hard for him to hire somebody, which means that the fans probably aren't going to be real happy with it. Um, so, uh, again, I would have to agree with Philip. Yeah, I'm going to agree with them as well. And, and, uh, I had a, a college coach reach out to me tonight and said, what good OC is going to walk into the fire at Auburn on a one-year deal? And I mean, that's obvious but to hear from a coach, you, you know, that, you know, and this guy's the coach that's kind of going places too. He, he gets how hard it, it would be under that circumstance, but I, I'm with in agreement with, with all of you guys on that one. Uh, I'm, I agree with that, and I heard from a coach before Chip left and then even after he left that uh, this is a situation where uh, folks, even in their type of position, where they're at, a, at lower schools, uh, probably would not <coughs> seriously consider a deal there unless they were giving some promises in writing. And Auburn's not going to do that, and obviously – they're not offering multi-year contracts, it sounds like, for at least for the time being. And that is just a that, – that's just completely setting everything up for failure, whether it's the offense itself and then obviously the head coach, the football program, and, uh, and I would venture to say the administration at Auburn because at some point you're going to keep doing this and uh, it's going to uh, damage things so much that it ends up damaging you. I think part part of this is that, you know, you have people in positions of power that have to approve things, and and some of those people are among those people who don't want Gus to be here. Uh, so they are trying their best to uh, make him not be here, and uh, and that's just a really bad way to do things. It's, uh, there, there there needs to be a con- there needs to be a, a, a singleness of purpose and a uh, and to come come to a consensus and do it and, and, as opposed to having, by all accounts, the president listens almost exclusively to one person, who is Gus Malzahn's friend, and uh, so that's where we are. And, I, and believe me, I'm not saying Gus Malzahn should be fired. I've never said that, and I'm not saying it now. But he 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 needs it needs to be here with full support or not be here. In between is, as you said, it's, it's setting everybody up for failure, and it's going to blow up on everybody that's involved if they're not careful. I know. I know. I said. I know. I said it was a final question, but Philip, uh, why? Why is it that stuff like this happens at Auburn so much? And, but not necessarily, <laughs> and, and not necessarily like the same thing happening over and over again. But no. different, cr- weird, crazy things that just really. Auburn's like its own worst enemy. It seems like it's not stuff coming from the outside. Usually, it's it's Auburn hurting itself. Oh, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I've said for I said for a long time, Brandon, that Auburn succeeds in spite of itself, and uh, I 
think it's, I, I don't know why it is. I, I think you get too many personalities involved. Uh, I think that uh, when you don't hire, when, when you got people who, who are looking to other people, I mean, you know, the president doesn't have to consult with Ryan Harbor to make this decision, for instance. And, uh, but there, I think that you get the politics involved and you get uh, all these things involved. And this happens. And why it happens here and not other places, I just really don't know. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's been going on uh, in some manner or other frequently for a long time. And, uh, you know, I used to think it was because there was this, you know, the whole Alabama thing, and and uh, but I'm I'm not sure that's it. I, I I don't know what it is, but what I do know is right now you got an athletic director who, by all appearances, is having very little to do with this at all. Now maybe he's more involved behind the scenes than we know, but he he seems to have very little to do with it. You got. You got big money people that are very strong in their opinions of what needs to be done, and they're putting pressure on people. You got, you got the trustee, the one trustee that has leads here more than any other, very strong in his opinion of what ought to be done. And you got Stephen Lee, who's been here for a year and a half, and has never dealt with a situation like this before. And I'm just guessing here, but he's probably doesn't know what to do. So. Uh, <laughs> Here we are again. Uh, so, uh, but that, to answer your question, I don't have an answer. Next board of trustees meeting will be fun. Yeah, because I'm yeah. sure they're going to call an executive session and uh, have a lot of questions for Mr. Leaf. I would imagine, and but he is a guy that you know, and I'm not privy to board of trustees politics, but. I think there are people who, uh, who who defer to him, uh, and I don't mean that in any negative connotation, but I, I believe there are, and uh, he's got a tremendous amount of money. Uh, he had he has influence in the state legislature, and uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that happens to Auburn is that is that it ends up getting intermingled with state politics because of the way the board has always been appointed. And that has to be confirmed by the uh, by the legislature. So that it becomes a political thing. Now it's not like it used to be. It used to be the governor just appointed somebody, and the legislature had to say yes or no. Now they have this thing where there's a committee that 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 selects people, but still, that still has to be confirmed by the legislature. So they still have power over it. Whereas in Alabama, the board is self perpetuating. They lose somebody there. The board appoints a new one, so totally different deal. Uh, and I guess that goes back to the old land grant versus whatever uh, days. But uh, but I don't know. I'm not. It's but I, I don't. I, I start to believe it's not ever going to change because it never has. Well, there you go, everybody. A uh, happy note to end this podcast on. Uh, <laughs> Um, it, next few weeks are going to be interesting and we didn't even get a chance to talk basketball, but their schedule is about to pick up folks. They're playing Dayton Saturday, which I think is going to be a very good game. 
And then uh, the Saturday, a week from this upcoming Saturday at UAB, and I think that's going to be a very good atmosphere and a very good game. And uh, then Auburn's got to hit the road for NC State for a really tough matchup as well. So things are heating up with basketball before they even enter the SEC, and uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. And, of course, everything going on with football, with the OC search, recruiting, signing periods coming up December 19th, and, of course, anything that's going on with Gus Malzahn and the bowl game coming up against Purdue. We'll have it covered at AuburnUndercover.com. We'll see you guys down the road. Oh,